Akashika Mahola, kicking off 2021 podcast series in the spirit of spinning yarns. In this series, we will be discussing issues that matter from equality to stories of you, our Australian legends and our Australia. Whatever you're doing, I want to know your story because every little story counts. Write to me on our social media channels. Today our guest is a woman of substance, a noted influencer, a fashion model who was invited at the New York Fashion Week last year. And when she is not getting her hair and makeup done, she is advocating for diversity of disability to evolve with the times with education and great work experiences in advertising marketing and media this modern australian women's movement for equality of disability from newsroom to fashion is extraordinary her story the grit the x factor the grace is all in lisa lisa cox story is inspirational. Lisa Cox is the disability officer at Media Diversity Australia and advocates. She writes regularly for the mainstream media and fashion comes naturally to her. Disabled women experience some of the highest rates of domestic violence, exclusion from jobs in both public and private sector. Lisa's movement goes beyond Australia. You can see her advocating for disability in featured media, fashion industry that does not consider disability closer to the ramp. Lisa's story is one that needs to be shared, celebrated, and that's what today's yarn is all about. Let's have a listen. This podcast has been recorded in the Mianan Nation. We pay our respects to Jagra and Turbal people. We respect their continuing culture, contribution and connections to the land, water and communities. We acknowledge the First Nations people as the traditional custodians of the land and pay our respects to elders past, present and emerging. morning, Lisa. Welcome to the In the Spirit of Spinning Yarns this morning. How are you this morning? Has the caffeine sunk in? It's still setting in and there are still more copies to go, but no, I'm feeling great. Thanks for catching up. Oh, lovely, Lisa. I really hope your coffees are longer and your days are shorter this week. Well, we are nearly <laughs> You and me both. Yes, indeed. So today is all about you, Lisa, and having known you for a while, you are a woman of substance of Australia. For your listeners, I was 24 when I acquired multiple visible and invisible disabilities, which I, I talk about quite openly all the time. And it certainly wasn't very dignified and empowering when it, when it first happened. There were plenty of tears and I was in a, a really, really dark place for a, for a very long time. I'm very fortunate, though, that I had incredible family around me so even though they were they were horrible days I 
still kept things in perspective. I was in hospital for over a year, but I knew that eventually I would be getting out without a leg and several other body parts. But that's beside the point. I still I still had my arms, even though none of my fingertips were amputated. So to be honest, to this day, I still don't know what on earth possessed me to just keep going. It's kind of an inbuilt stubbornness, I think, from when I was very, very young, as my father would attest to. <laughs> never, never just just sat back and let things let things go. So tell us what had happened. Sure. Well, I was 24, and working in media and advertising life was life was great for like it is for a lot of 24 year olds. I travelled the world, been to uni, got my two degrees. I was working down in Melbourne for a, a great advertising agency with national and international brands, getting awarded, being promoted. Uh, all those all those fun things and then I was at Melbourne Airport one morning when as a lot of strokes are I unexpectedly had a stroke brain hemorrhage so I don't remember that period because I've got amnesia before and after it happened but I went to Melbourne hospital spent three weeks in a coma two months on life support and over a year in hospital after that so during that first year my left leg all of my right toes and nine of my fingertips were amputated I've had heart surgery twice in total hip replacement so there are lots of scars and disabilities that you can see i'm now in a wheelchair and have a prosthetic leg for example but there's plenty that you can't see and they're all of the invisible disabilities uh, because of brain hemorrhage so i'm over 25 percent blind i have epilepsy my speech is sometimes affected chronic pain chronic fatigue peripheral neuropathy for, for anyone out there with a medical background is a, the long the long name for it but all sorts of things going on that the unseen disabilities which impact my life far more than what you can see it's not my wheelchair that adopts me necessarily getting on with the day and doing what I want to do it might be my chronic fatigue or my body's inability to regulate temperature or, or something as simple as that they're far greater challenges than all the visible disabilities that people can see my god Lisa tell us about the scars that people can't see are uh, the scars on my brain as you just like normal scars when you graze your knee or something. My brain has scar all over it because of brain hemorrhage. So depending, without having a, a background in neuroscience, depending on where the scars are, it depends on what certain capabilities they affect. So my brain hemorrhage, for example, occurred right beside my optic nerve from, from what I'm told. And that's why my vision was affected. But for somebody else having a stroke, another part of their body may be, may be affected or I suppose people with required brain injury, for example, in a car accident, the injury may occur more to the sort of the front of their head, basically, on their forehead. And that can affect other things, other characteristics and personality traits and things like that. So when I was in the coma and on life support, they were still doing tests all day, every day on me, scanning my brain and doing God knows what else and telling my parents that we're not sure exactly what state Lisa is going to be in when she comes up life support, if or when she comes out of the coma. She could have a complete personality change, be a completely different person or she could, at one stage they were told I would be a, a quote unquote vegetable. Their words not mine, but uh, it was only when I came out of, out of the coma and off life support that my parents realised it was still the same dumb little shit that I'd always <laughs> what about the emotional journey you know those scars when you came, finally came out of you know or that ordeal how was that realization it was a it was a slow realization even though I knew straight away that really obvious things like my my leg being amputated and the fact that I couldn't 
couldn't say properly or raise my arms and even feed myself and dress myself. I can do all of that now, but at first I had to, to relearn how to do all those basic tasks. So there were some really obvious things, but I, I feel myself in terms of my physical brain injury because... I just thought, hey, I'm in a wheelchair. That's fine. I can return to everything I used to do. But it was only after I, I tried and I did I did succeed at that that I realised things weren't working the same they once did. I couldn't have those late nights and long hours that I, I once used to have because my concentration and focus had been interrupted, destroyed or whatever, whatever word you want to use. But I also, um, and I'm quite open about this when I'm either speaking or writing, I diagnosed with generalized anxiety as well as health anxiety. I also have PTSD from what happened. So coronavirus or COVID has been a nightmare for people like me with PTSD and health anxiety. I have been cleaning like crazy and quite quite afraid to to really step outside and things like that. But it was it was also an issue for me prior to coronavirus. I remember once I went to a, a birthday party at a park and had to use a, a public toilet at the park and I just had a meltdown on the way home and made my, my poor husband spray my wheelchair with when 20 <laughs> I calmed down eventually but getting all of that under control including things like my sleep disorder that's been a long long process and I'm not afraid to to admit that I have help from specialists and medication and all sorts of fun stuff like that as well as just lifestyle interventions that I take every day. Incredible journey Lisa. What do you miss in this era from a time where you were running around traveling of course you travel today as well but you were mm-hmm. more free to do so much more what do you miss i it, it's a funny question because in so many ways i i don't miss things and don't want to dwell on the past because i know that it's only because of what happened and what i have missed out on that i've you know met my incredible husband who gets to do the the work i do today and things like that but i i do miss things like the rock climbing that i used to do i did a lot of rock climbing overseas and here in australia spontaneity so being able to see a beautiful beach and say let's pull over and go for a walk along that everything takes so much more planning, whether it's just going out to a restaurant or a cafe, I might have to call ahead and see if they have wheelchair bathrooms or accessible accessible bathrooms and if they have certain foods that I can eat and, that, and those sorts of the air conditioning. There's <laughs> a long list. So things certainly take a, a lot longer than they used to. They surely do, Lisa. Now, what drives you and what do you thrive on? There is so much confidence, so much optimism. I always say you're always smiling and ready for any challenge your way. So what is the secret? Like I said before, I don't exactly know the secret to it all, but I'm, I'm still the same optimistic, driven person that I was before it all happened. But to be honest, I have a far greater appreciation for, for my privileges just I'm here. I'm alive and I'm not supposed to be. And I know that sounds a bit, a bit tried to flip and turn. I'm not supposed to be here. I, I died twice in hospital. Medical staff told my parents they might have to turn off my life support. I was supposed to be a, quote, vegetable. So little opportunities like being here today with you on a podcast, having my work published, speaking to audiences of thousands. I don't for a moment take that for granted because... I realise how bloody fortunate I am. And the fact that I can use my voice to speak for others who perhaps can't is something that I'm also incredibly fortunate. 
fortunate to do. Women are so passionate about not being confident at times, Lisa, although in the times, you know, that we are in, we've seen that changing a lot. Apart from you treading the stage with the disability advocacy, you are a model. You are <laughs> going to tread the New York Fashion Week this September. So tell us, where do you get this confidence? And yeah, that's... what's your beautiful beauty routine like? <laughs> the um, the modelling, I'll, I'll quickly explain that. It was, it was something I did pre-disability just as a, a bit of fun on the side. I was I was working in advertising. I had that background and I wanted to see life from, from both sides of the camera, I suppose. So I did a little bit of that. But I certainly spent all my years at uni getting my degrees to, to be a model. But after I got into disability advocacy, I was campaigning for, you know, visibility, greater visibility and better representation of the disability community in everyday situations, for example, not just as it's Paralympians or pity porn in hospital beds. But I said to a friend, where do we never see disabled people? And one of those was in the fashion industry. But as I've said before, I can't walk, but I can shop. I'm still consumer. So just increasing that visibility in, in something as, as small as fashion and became something that I, I started to do as well. So there have been some really fun opportunities presented to me, like New York Fashion Week and some work here in Brisbane and with the designers interstate. But again, that's, that's more of a side hobby, <laughs> a bit of fun, because I'm not going to say no to getting my hair and makeup done and getting to wear fun clothes for a couple of hours. Well, that's brilliant. We've seen you advocating about, you know, how designers need to really welcome the diversity of disability for inclusion. What are your real thoughts on it? Well, again, combining my professional background with my lived experience, I, I know how the advertising industry works. I spent years creating campaigns and TV TV ads and all of those sorts of things. So I understand the inner workings. I realise how simple something like diverse representation can be. And when I say diverse representation, that doesn't just have to be for disability. It can also be for women of colour, gender differences across across the board for minorities. I have that really deep understanding of how how the agency agency life works and how easily it can be written into scripts. So that's why I do enjoy working with media and marketing professionals at the moment to speak not just as an angry advocate on my soapbox where my fighting going, why can't I do it this way? But also coming to it as a, a business professional and media professional and looking at the advantages to the, the profit la- the profit margins or the bottom line or something like that, as well as being able to say this is exactly how you do it as a copywriter, as someone who's written thousands of scripts. This is how you go about it. These are the words you use, for example. Tell us about the two books that you've written. Right, those two books are several years old now. They're probably probably a bit out of date because there wasn't much of social much of a social media thing around. So at the time, I was speaking to a lot of young people, young women especially, about things like body image and body confidence. And again, using my media background to look at the way the media is impacting things like media literacy. The first book is called Does My Bum Look Because Ad? It's about body image and media literacy. So I remember as a 17-year-old girl, you know, watching, oh, sorry, reading uh, you know, Dolly magazine or Girlfriend, and that's, that's back in the day. <laughs> 
<laughs> long time ago that even though I have a, a degree of white privilege and could still see people like me, I felt I was uncomfortable because I had, you know, acne and, and things like that and had no understanding whatsoever that things like Photoshop had even existed. So it was, it was only after I started working in advertising, spent time in the studio, learned Photoshop, understood how the work somebody needs to tell these 17-year-old girls this. So that's, that's what I started doing. And also to present another side of disability, not just as inspirational porn or, or something like that, but also talking about body confidence. You, you can be confident in who you are, in a non-narcissistic kind of way, not, not the Donald Trump version of confidence, but you can still be happy with yourself and not fit this stereotype and look like a bikini model on Instagram. So that's that's what I likely spoke to them about. I, as I said, books back then there there was no no Instagram things, and it's certainly what I would change if I got to write or rewrite it now. So I'd up and leave those presentations, and the kids would want to know more. Um, so it dawned on me that I can I can put the extras, I suppose, in a book, and that's that's how that all began. Well, now with social media, you being one of the most popular Instagram influencers with over 81,000 followers. My God, what are the topics that you're regularly talking about? And what is your handle? My handle is at lisacox.co, L-I-S-A-C-O-X.co. And it's a bit of a mishmash of, of topics on there. So I will I will discuss advocacy. My my very last post, why we need more inclusive fashion, because there's a quote, and um, let me get this right, uh, clothes won't change the world, but the women who wear them will. And I, I understand that quote because, as I said in my caption, fashion can occasionally be sometimes a bit frivolous or full of itself. When it comes to inclusive fashion, being able to just dress myself, there's incredible independence in that empowerment that a lot of disabled people, and I won't, I won't say everyone, but those sorts of privileges are taken away because those types of clothes aren't available. So I spoke about that more recently, but then another post was just me and my puppy sitting in the car out for a Sunday drive, and I can't even remember what I wrote, but every now and again I'll also put something about mindset as well because done a lot of speaking and writing about, about keeping an optimistic mindset, and that's certainly not a Pollyanna version of mindset where everything's wonderful all the time. Um, I, I can't stand that sort of toxic positivity. So I will will mention my own, um, whether it's mental health problems or something like that, and say it's nothing to be ashamed of. It's more than more than okay to put your hand up for help, but also try and provide some some optimism and positivity without without it being a, an inspirational porn piece or toxic positivity. Talking about diversity. Talking about diversity disability and inclusion what do you think is the big lack and how do we bridge that gap that's a really big question and i can spend hours on and by that i mean there are there's a, a lot of a lot of lack and if it was just me and one of the others that's my dog my puppy in the background if it was me and one or two others in australia with a disability i wouldn't wouldn't worry about it but it's roughly 20% of our community, 20% of our population who aren't being represented. So I try and address this from the point of view that it's, it's socially responsible. It's a really great thing to do 
to help not only the disability community but also the non-stable community but I also address it from a business perspective because I've, I've spent enough time in boardrooms to know that at the end of the day all some people really give a shit about is the figure at the bottom of a profit and loss statement and that's okay it's their jobs and that's the only way you're going to get through to them to to create that change so you can you can advocate all you want but sometimes you need to present that other side of the story so my my hope is that there would be a trickle-down effect so i'm not in government for example and there's a lot that needs to change with government policy in healthcare and education all the the really big meaty topics but i'm focusing on the not necessarily the smaller things but the things that are more within my control and my skill set so they are certain parts of popular culture that, that can be changed up. But I do have a skill set in, like I said. So I'm hoping it can be a trickle-down effect, so, as I mentioned. And if we do look at, say, changing advertising and marketing and those sorts of things, that shifts public attitudes, social attitudes. And in the longer term, it can flow on to affect things like government policies and the education healthcare systems, those, those bigger issues. As we speak about the whole change that we seek, where do you think the buck stops? You know, how, you, how you're talking about, you know, leading this change from a local community level and then initial level. Of course, you are talking about it and many others, but are they really listening? Yes and no. <laughs> so I'm really excited to see some very, very small changes um, I've been chipping away at this for, for several years. In that time, I, I have seen changes, which is which is positive. But that's not to say there isn't a very, very, very long way to go. So different brands and businesses are, are changing things up a little bit. I know Media Diversity Australia, who you and I are both involved with, do some do some fantastic work to change something, even like the language that's used in a media report or something like that. Those uh, smaller changes can actually have a much bigger impact long term. So, yes, I am seeing changes. Of course, I'd like to see plenty more and um, have disability represented all the time, but that's not going to happen overnight. And I'm a realist about it. But I think it's a responsibility for, for all of us who can to share our voice, share our opinions, do, do what we can other than just ranting on twitter or something like that you know to either be an ally or to speak up and speak with those decision makers who will ultimately make the changes on our behalf so talking about diversity and inclusion we have often spoken about how you feel as a white woman in those diversity convos how does it feel when you're surrounded by the diverse culture who are just talking about women of colour, people of colour, every other diversity, but you, the white diversity as well. Yeah, that's, it's a, I suppose, I, I'm the first to admit I have, I have white privilege and I can't for a moment pretend to, to be anything but, but I obviously have the, the disability side of things and, and now my age. <laughs> but I suppose I read a piece for the Huffington Post about this some time ago and it was republished by the Sydney Morning Herald and at the time, Waleed Ali had come out and said something about, about diversity and race. It was, it was great what he'd said. And Lisa Wilkinson had come out, for any of the listeners who don't know, she's a TV presenter over here, a, a really great white woman, had come out and said something about the gender pay gap and equal rights for women. And again, 
totally justified and wonderful. And these two topics got enormous amount of media coverage and going back over other media reports I've seen over over the years, there was still no representation, oh, sorry, still no mention of disability as a really, really big part of diversity. So that's what the piece was about, the fact that the media only ever chooses to focus on colour and gender as as diversity and we're kind of excluding 20% of the population. Well said, Lisa. In one of your articles, you also spoke about how not having disability included could impact the economic progress of Australia. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, that's exactly right. And as I as I said uh, several minutes ago on this podcast, I can't walk but I can shop. I still have a credit card and so do millions, thousands of millions. I don't want to misquote stats here, but a lot of people who, who may be disabled but who still have that spending power. And unfortunately, Australia is a little bit behind in recognising disability dollar. I know the US and the UK are slightly more ahead of us and they have released things like economic reports and, and the like. I was, was researching those with a friend just the other day. So there's information out there, but when it, when it comes to Australia where we're not quite realising the spending power that people with disabilities have, not only spending power, but we can also look at it from the point of view that the employment sector can certainly do a lot to employ more people with disabilities and that in turn through taxation etc brings more money back into the economy and as i as i've already mentioned there is a, a real social justice social responsibility uh, approach to take to disability representation and that's always my my first go-to and something i i believe strongly in but I'm really passionate about mentioning the business and the finance and the economic side of things because so often that's the only way to really get through to those those high-level decision-makers. Is this one of the reasons why many Australian models with disabilities are forced to find work overseas, as you said, in the News Daily in about September 2020? Yeah, that was that was a, a piece a piece last year when the fact that New York Fashion Week I was on their on their virtual runway last year and people with disabilities have been on runways in Milan, Paris, New York, Moscow, all over the world for years. It's it's really no big deal, but the Australian fashion industry still doesn't want to go there. And I've I've had some conversations with Australian Fashion Week about this and I'm really, really hoping for change in the, this year or very, very soon. But it's it's a real it's a real service not only to the disability community but also to the non-disabled community who should be seeing people with disabilities just like everybody else. And obviously a, a catwalk isn't necessarily the the just like everyone else scenario, but it's it's a start. Indeed, it's a start, Lisa. According to the World Health Organization, over 1 billion people live with some form of disability. 80% of persons with disabilities live in developing countries and experience periodic abuse and discrimination. Women and girls with disabilities are the most unprotected and experience physical abuse and exclusion, according to the United Nations. What are your thoughts on this? Unfortunately, I I don't discount anything just said. It's it's absolutely 
it's disgusting and it's true. I, I know that even with disabilities, I still hold a level of privilege because I am in Australia and have a government who supports me most of the time with things like the NDIS. I have my white privilege, as I, as I previously mentioned, and in, in some ways I, I have my, my life before that I can, I can still carry on with. That's a large, a large part of, of why I do advocate today because I knew when I grew up, I, I always saw people like me. I was a little white blonde kid running around the Australian backyard. I had no problem seeing people like me represented in the media. But these days, having acquired a disability and being much older, there's nobody out there unless it is pity porn or Paralympics or something like that. So that's that's really what I'm trying to change in, in various ways with pop culture. Things like domestic violence, the rates are much higher amongst disabled women, which is incredibly disappointing. And I've had a few people reach out to me on Instagram and places like that from other countries where perhaps Australia might not be great at representing disability and, and shifting the public mindset, uh, the social, social attitudes and public perceptions, but... I know that Australia is, is certainly doing a, a better job than some of the developing countries where people with disabilities are still hidden away and the family are ashamed to have children with disabilities and they're put in institutions and some really horrible things going on. I've been to orphanages over in developing countries and very unfortunately there, there are often quite a few children there with disabilities because their parents just did not want to have a child with disabilities. They don't have the government government systems in place and support them and there's also that shift in public attitude that needs to take place where it's, it's not seen as something to be ashamed of. That's right, Lisa. Talking about developed countries, United States of America and Australia, do you know in United States of America, Ambassador Samantha Power is now going to lead the US aid under the Biden administration? And as you would know, Samantha, Ambassador Samantha Power worked with Obama's administration closely with appointed disability advisors who helped shape strategies for United States leadership in a multilateral response for disability protection. Do you think, is there something like this being done here in Australia? Not knowing enough about about that in terms of what Biden and his party did. For your your listeners, this has been recorded on the morning in Australia. Yeah, Biden just got inaugurated, which we're very, very excited about. Over here, I follow the US election more than I do our own Australian politics, but I don't personally know enough about that situation. I do trust that the likes of Biden would do a heck of a lot more for the disability community than Trump ever did. Same with Obama. But we do have things like the NDIS, the National Disability Insurance Scheme over here in Australia, which is is helping a lot, a lot of people, including myself. So I'd like to know more about about those sorts of policies. And I would certainly hope that they have disabled people at the table. In the same way, it would just be wrong to put a heap of white, white middle-aged men around a table to talk about cultural issues for women. It's also terribly wrong to just put a heap of able-bodied people around a table and make decisions on behalf of the disability community. 
You bet, Lisa. Is there anybody in Australia that is responsible to chase NDIS and other such institutions on where they are at and how they're reforming based on the times we are in for this particular area? Who do you think should ultimately follow up and check with NDIS on the progress and where is the delay? It depends what what part of what part of it you're talking about. I used to work for NIS way back in the day when Julia Gillard was with our Prime Minister. Went to Parliament House, met with her and spoke and advocated for the NDIS and that was before it came in. So I'm really excited to see it in now. There are problems with, with the NDIS as with anything but unfortunately the media does tend to just focus on what's going wrong instead of instead of all the things that are going right and how it is is really assisting a lot of people. And to my knowledge, I'm not working there anymore, but there are, to my knowledge, people following up who are in the disability community, either themselves or with children. I know the woman I used to work alongside, or two of the women, they both had children with disabilities. So I've had a bit to do with the NDIS recently around some work that we're doing at Media Diversity Australia and looking into other avenues there. So they're certainly, certainly doing what they can. But um, once again, it's, it's a matter of all of us who have the ability to or the capacity to advocate and speak up and show up when we can. So 2021 is here. What is your vision for 2021? What are something that you're passionate about you're going to do this year, Lisa? That's a, that's a good question because if you'd asked me last year, I, I would have said a lot more travelling, but March came and we've been grounded ever since. So I think, as is the case for a lot of your listeners, it will all depend on COVID and what I can do, where I can go. But in short, I'll say much of the same. So with the exception of, of doing more travel and things like that, I'm going to continue doing what I've already been doing last year, continue my, continue my advocacy work and working with different brands to share my vision for greater representation of disability and hopefully build on that as well. So it's been really exciting in the last year to see a couple of brands and businesses get on board with what I was advocating for. So I certainly hope to see that increase this coming year. Thanks, Lisa. We'll quickly jump to some rapid-fire questions now. Would you take the vaccine if it was here for you right now? Heck yeah. <laughs> if, it was okay, <laughs> if it was okay with my doctors, I have to pass everything through my doctors. But if, if they would inject their children, then they can inject me. That's the way I look at it. But yes, definitely. (laughs) Fantastic. And if there was a chartered flight waiting for you right here, where would you head to? (laughs) Oh, so many places I want to go. If uh, COVID wasn't a problem, I'd go back to America and see some of my family over there. I'd like to go back to London because I went there before my brain hemorrhage, but I have no, no memory of it because of the amnesia. But then locally, I'd just like to get back down to Sydney or Melbourne where I've got friends and, and catch up with them for coffee. Oh, lovely. What are the three things in your life that you could change if you had if you had Aladdin right here with his magic? Okay, three things I would change. Well, apart apart from a few personal things, I don't want to make it all about me. So it is about the, you. <laughs> the the representation of, of disability in something like advertising and other other forms of popular culture, of course, but advertising is my, my real passion point because that's what I've got 
got that background in marketing too and changing that that representation it's certainly something that is happening very slowly but if i had a magic wand and got to change things straight away i'd, I'd certainly hit the fast forward button and, and speed things up a lot um i'd like the pandemic again if i could write magic wand pandemic go to be to be rid of it and if it wasn't for um uh biden's inauguration this morning i would have said my third wish is just to get rid of trump because he's an idiot let's be honest sure well when in doubt what do you do what do i do what do you do? i just go to the, i go to the gym i'm one of those those people who likes to just move and that that is my form of meditation i cannot for the life of me sit still on a yoga mat for 20 minutes but i can go to the gym and do do some weights and just think things through and often i'll i'll start writing a, an article in the morning and get some writer's block and i'll i'll go to the gym and think think it all through think it through logically and come back to it and that's that's my way of if i'm ever in doubt just or one of my ways anyway apart from just sitting and drinking coffee that's inspirational <laughs> <laughs> favorite one liner is and this is for everybody you are stronger than you think because if you told me 16 years ago that all of these things were going to happen to me i'd end up in a wheelchair with one leg no eyesight and limited eyesight and still have a life that i bloody love and meet an amazing man get married do all all this stuff i would have laughed and not believed you and said there's no fucking way sorry for swearing but um we're all a lot stronger than we think it's it's only because of some horrible challenges that i've realized that and i think with covid a lot of a lot of people may have come to the realization that they they are a little bit stronger than they thought because no one could have foreseen the the shit show that was covid or is still covid um but i think we're all a lot stronger than we think we are and give ourselves credit thanks to kashika great to be here